Welcome to Hot Plate, the conversations we should be having about our food and drink. I'm your host, Mirella Amato. Today on Hot Plate, we chat with Toronto-based bartender Josh Lindley about a controversial cocktail garnish, followed by the bitter truth and a sad reality. And then Josh comes back in to delight us with Curious Kitchen. So, Josh, now we have another guest in the we studio do. today. Very who's a friend of both of ours. Indeed. The fabulous Mr. Josh Lindley. Who's Hi, a- Josh. Hi, Josh. Hi. So, you're a bartender here in Toronto, uh, based here in Toronto, and also one half of Bartender Atlas. That's right. An online community of bartenders. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, it's uh, exactly that. An online community of bartenders, a directory, as it were. Aha. Uh-huh. Um, Often problems with people traveling to different places. Um, the frequent Facebook posts of I'm spending four days in Denver and don't know anybody or I'm spending three days in wherever and don't know where to eat or drink. Uh, rather than posting on Facebook to people who will just Google the same things that you had the, the capacity to Google yourself, go to Bartender Atlas, search Denver. There's the list of Denver bartenders you can go and sit and talk with. And it's about interacting with oh, the sweet. people okay. rather than just interacting with the bar or the drink. So, oh, there's Amber, and she's into antique furniture and Star Wars. I like antique furniture and Star Wars. I'm going to sit at Amber's bar and talk with a real person. Yeah. Um, That's the idea behind Bartender. Cool. It makes so much sense to me because, um, and I believe I read somewhere that you do this too, but my first thing I do when I'm in a city is go to a a bar uh, or a cocktail bar that I've heard of and uh, find a bartender that I like. And then from there, find out where to go. Exactly. Um, So I've collected bartenders around uh, in various cities around the world and I always go back to them. It's that. It's that principle on a global scale. I love uh, this bartender at Social Connector. Mm-hmm. I bet there's a, this feels like a bit of a revival. You know, it's a thing. right? This, years this ago. for sure was a role that a bartender oh, played, right? They, did everything. they still yeah. do. They still do. And Josh, you're also one of the founders of the Toronto Cocktail Conference. That's correct. Woo! And the early bird tickets go out uh, mm-hmm. on sale today. That's correct. May 21st. Yeah. And. Uh, I can. Have you been, Joshua? I have not. This is the second edition. I was there last year. Full right. disclosure, I also spoke, but mm-hmm. I was at the event, and it's fantastic. Very much looking forward to this year. Oh, um, that sounds exciting. Yeah, we've expanded just a little. It's not going to be a huge, you know, take over the city kind of uh, conference. It's more about education than it is about anything else. Sweet. But uh, education about booze involves drinking booze. So there is a fair mm-hmm. amount of, like, fun times as well as sitting down I and love taking that. notes. Yeah. Oh, it's a great event. Cool. So, uh, Josh, I brought you in today because of a headline that mm-hmm. caught my attention, and the headline was as follows. Tampon garnished cocktail causes stir at Ohio bar. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen this cocktail, Joshna? I have. It's a... Uh, how to describe it? It's a, it's a margarita, it. I believe, yes, base. Uh, yes. And then they've taken some very red berries, dropped them on top, and then put a tampon applicator in the co- just the applicator into the cocktail so it lands on the red berries and it looks like there's blood. Oh. In the cocktail, oh. you're not into it. Not. I think it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's so awesome. But uh, it raises the question of you know what garnish is too much. Because that, yes. that's pretty. It, you know, apart from the controversy, for me the the intrigue was more. What's up with that garnish? Right. Well, uh, there is a point behind the garnish, though. Yeah. 
Right. It's not just there for shock value. So the cocktail raises money for a women's shelter. Oh, and weird. what I think is particularly cool is the use of the, the visual of the tampon. Because mm-hmm. when people are um, donating various items to shelters and so yep, on, absolutely, it yes. rarely occurs to them that I think the, the term is feminine hygiene Feminine product. hygiene products, <laughs> indeed. I've seen um, this on a list. Um, that they... They're often overlooked. Yes. Is this the craziest garnish you have seen? Uh, it's up there. Uh, I like I like that it uh, it's there to prove a point. Um, from my nerdy yeah. cocktail uh, building background, always something that I've been told several times, and there's different schools of thoughts, is to never um, double down on an ingredient. So if you are garnishing a drink, the hmm. garnish should serve a point to the final end of the cocktail. So in terms right. of consumption, got, in terms of consumption. Okay. So if you've got an orange liqueur in a cocktail, you don't need to put a ton of orange oil on top uh, of okay. that cocktail. So don't okay. double down. So the garnish needs to prove a point, which I feel this definitely does. Yeah, sure. uh, other cocktails I've come across and I'm not going to name any bars because who knows if they've uh, taken these off their menus. I was in New York a million years ago and got a drink called an Escobar. Okay. So it was, okay. it was a tequila based drink served on a mirror with a line of salt and a line of oh dear. <laughs> coffee grinds and a line of chili pepper. And, and your straw was placed next to those lines. I thought that was an wow. interesting garnish. Wow. It says hello. Um, yeah, Indeed. it says hello. <laughs> really sort of anchors you in an experience, right? Uh, yeah. Yes. Um, okay. Outside of that. Wait, um, like, what did, it has to be asked. Yeah. What did you do with the lines? Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that later. You just rubbed them all in your gums. Tr- truth be told, uh, a lot of mezcal, a lot of tequila does um, benefit from salt and uh, spice and coffee. Right. And so it of is course. meant to kind of, you could rim your own glass with it was the intention of it. You Got it. were not meant to snort salt. Right. I can't imagine doing that. Or you that could would do, hurt uh, a lot, man. Yeah. And the chilies? Just suck it up oh, with the straw in your mouth, yeah, though, something in little like bits. That. Yeah. That's probably what I would have done. Yeah, I think I, think I, I just I feel like I would have had a hard time not grabbing it and rubbing <laughs> some on my gums the last little bits. It's a tell. The bartender, the bartender gives you yeah. a wink and like, we'll talk later. <laughs> um, outside of that, uh, I was in Barcelona last year and ordered a drink called a Trojan Horse where this, oh. I kid you not, 18-inch tall to, like it's the it's a arrangement basically that lands on the table in front of you and it's a horse and there's a glass next to it and you have to open up the horse's uh, butt and pull your bottled cocktail out of the horse's butt to then open it and pour it into your glass. Is um, that still a garnish I at that know. point? It's a serving, I guess. That is that is, is a it's lot. Just, it's just like a. It's just about open up the butt and pull your bottle of beer out? It, well, no, it's a cocktail that they've bottled and capped in-house oh, and it's okay. chilled oh, and it's ready oh, to go. And well, it's part of the experience, right? It's part of the experience. It's part of the experience, which I feel is what garnish is, garnish is supposed to be. When yeah. Like, it, it all builds towards In terms of hitting the, the eyes first? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, and then the one that really stuck out as far as like on the gross side of things. Yeah. Uh, and this was definitely not a so cocktail tampon bar. Level? Uh, getting there. Uh, this was definitely not a, a cocktail bar by any means. Some divey bar I went to in Querétaro in Mexico where their house special was some drink served out of um, like a dollhouse toilet. 
Uh, oh. Yeah, like, and, and again, an entire arrangement where this thing, it's made for, like, not yes. a tiny dollhouse, like a doll yeah. that you would carry around and wrap a diaper on, but this was like a toy oh. potty, oh. basically, okay. that would come to your table and you would drink out of the toilet. Right. I didn't order that drink. I just had a It was yellow, that wasn't it? That it drink was, was yellow, yellow and there were brown chunks in it. Yeah, there were. Yeah. There's so, a poop cafe in Toronto, I know, right? I was just and thinking about the thing. poop cafe. Have any of us been? I have not, but I got I, a report from a nine-year-old uh-huh. about the fact that the seats are all toilet, are all toilets, mm-hmm. yeah, and that everything comes in a toilet, including all the chocolate ice cream. You can. It's imagine. on my list. It's on my list. Yeah. Um, thinking about garnishes, the other, the, the first thing that comes to mind for me immediately is the the Caesar situation. Sure. I feel Good like everywhere point. you go. There's like now there's uh, sausages on it's there. It's like a charcuterie there's a platter veg- on top of mm-hmm. the Caesar. Sometimes right? it's built up so high that you have to eat through it. Yes. To get to the. What are your thoughts on that? I Josh? am a bad Canadian. Okay. I have had two Caesars in my whole <gasps> life, Josh, and no. I didn't enjoy either what of a them. Thing. Zeros on the clam for you. Zeros on the clam. Zeros on the clam. I don't drink Caesars. I don't like them. But to your point about garnishing them, this is part of the reason I don't like drinking. Well, I don't like drinking them because I don't like the way they taste. I don't like making them because there is such a, a... ethos about how people will make their Caesars and what they need to be garnished with. And if I go to Steve from the office's 45th birthday party and he has a Caesar bar set up at his house and there's bacon and there's celery and there's pickled olives and pickled grapes and whatever he's got uh, and four different kinds of hot sauce and two different yeah, kinds of clamato yeah, and yeah. 12 different vodkas and gins or whatever. Yeah. No matter what happens, if you're my guest and you sit down at my bar, whatever Caesar I make you is not the one you want. And I am setting, I'm setting myself up for disappointment or I'm setting my guest up for disappointment Mm. because I can't give you what you want. And the point of me doing my job as a bartender is to fulfill people's and exceed people's expectations of going Mm. out. Otherwise they could just make those things at home. Walk us through the why you can't give them what they want. Because in their brain, they're getting a piece of bacon and a burger skewered on top of their Caesar. And I don't have that. I think, you know, I think what these people are looking for is uh, a brunch Caesar, not a a bar. Right. right? Mm -hmm. Because it's certainly something I associate more with brunch and there are certain brunch places that, you know, like, oh, their Caesar has bacon on it. And this other place, they put the full sausage on their Caesar. And it's more of like a breakfast item than it is, uh, you know, I I don't think I would go out in the evening and order one of those after dinner. While you're dancing. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely definitely worked at a place. With the celery stick and the the olives (laughs) on the skewer. Come on. Uh, I definitely worked at a place where we had a lobster tail as the uh, garnish on our Caesar. Was that a $25 Caesar? It was remarkably cheap. Wow. Uh, yeah. We So I've made enough Caesars. You know what I've never garnished a Caesar with, though? Tell me. A tampon applicator. Mm-hmm. So here's the, this, so this is what I wanted to ask you. Mm. Uh, because for me, the Caesar makes sense. Um, I, uh, as you know, have dabbled in, in beer cocktails, uh, for, uh, well, fine. Okay. I've <laughs> been quote, working. There's quotes on there. Okay. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm really serious about it. I am pretty yeah. serious about them. And in my very early days, uh, I had, uh, a mentor helping me out. I don't know if you know Simon Ogden from yeah, of Victoria. Course. Yeah. Yes. So, um, and I was working on one of the cocktails in my book and it, it was a pineapple garnish that I had in mind and I was struggling with it and I sent him a couple of pictures and he wrote back and said, you know, the important thing about the garnish is not the first thing you have to ask yourself before does it look good is, is it adding to the experience? Mm, like right. is the aroma of it mm, as you're bringing the, mm-hmm. the cocktail to your nose, uh, adding to the aroma of the cocktail, if right. you're having a bite as you're eating it with the cocktail, um, 
Is it, you know, is, is it, it adding to the right. experience? And in that sense, for me, the crazy Caesars work well because sure. I can have like a, a sip of Caesar and a bite of sausage and it, right. it's, it adds to the experience. A briny olive in there, uh, sure. Is that sort of the common way that, that garnishes are approached or is that um, just one philosophy um, with garnishes, would you say, Josh? Funny you should ask. And uh, I mean, I'm... I am definitely in Simon's school of thought. Part mm-hmm. of it is that Simon and I worked together for a short while and he oh. taught me a ton of stuff. <laughs> instilled. I'm also of the school of Simon. Nice. He, yeah. I'm, nice. Simon has uh, sired many cocktail bartenders in the country of Canada and beyond. Uh, and yeah, he is definitely one of the people that instilled in me that if you are garnishing a drink, the garnish should serve a purpose to the extent that Simon, um, even 10 years ago when I, when I worked with him for the short stint that I did, he was the first bartender I'd ever seen that trimmed straws so that no matter what, like if you were ordering your drink and you're wearing your fancy lipstick and you don't mm-hmm. want to get it on the rim of glass or smeared or whatever, he would serve you with a straw, but he would snip the straw so that no matter what, your nose is in the garnish as you're drinking your cocktail. Oh, that's that's hardcore. It. And that was 10 Simon. years ago. Nice. Yeah. That's, uh, that's also some fine hospitality. Mm-hmm. So back to the like tampon. It. Back to the tampon. That's right. not really adding it uh, aroma to the experience It at definitely all. doesn't. Well, I, I don't know. I haven't. I can't think of a time I've had a tampon applicator in my mouth. Um, no, so I can't that, imagine that makes three of us. Okay, on the inside, the actual tampon itself is an absorbent piece of cotton, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I have actually heard people like Heston Blumenthal, mm-hmm. right? In the midst uh, between courses, he actually, uh, I believe, he actually even uses tampons to swab out the inside of people's mouths to dry them out, and then feeds them custard. Which is has this whole other mouth experience after your mouth has been dried out with something super absorbent, right? Uh, so there's this kind of playful mouth thing, but then also couldn't the thing be steeped in something that potentially that once it gets into the drink, do a little, you know, if there's like some really intense flavor of something and then avec le appli- with the applicator having it shoot into a cocktail. That's and then, like... That sounds awesome. Um, there's a lot of things you can, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to aromatize the inside of a glass or to get right. oil or, or, or any kind of aroma inside a drink or on top of or yeah. around a drink. Um, I know, you know, Frankie from Bar Chef here in Toronto mm-hmm. definitely has a bunch of like airs that his concoctions, yeah. they are, they're, they're cocktails. Sure. They're cocktails that he serves on these plates. And as they come out, you'll have like a pillow of air. And every time you pick up your, your glass, oh, uh, something you get, is released. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So he does things like that. I don't know if tampons is the most direct way to do it. Well, that's a really or the good most question. effective, which is something that I was thinking about as well. Reading this article about this drink, um, where are they getting these applicators from? And couldn't the applicate, the tampons themselves have just been donated to, whatever women's right. shelter. Great question. Oh, and I know really the answer. Point. I know the answer. Oh yeah. Yes. So um, when you order the drink, some of the proceeds go to this women's shelter and you have the option to order it without the applicator, in which case the entire tampon is donated. No way. Yes. That's, sure. I like that. Thoughtful so inclusion. Um, I don't, I would, sur- I, I don't know. I'd be on wow. the fence because I do want to donate it, but at the same time I want the full. Yeah. I, and That's like, awesome. I'm, I'm always more into the donation aspect. Like, yeah, sure. It's served with a tampon applicator. That's fine. But is it actually benefiting people is more what I'm concerned right. with. Um, and and is the gimmick working? Yeah. Right. So I are you saying idea. you would buy the tampon cocktail? Um, I, I would buy the tampon cocktail, but I'd probably just rather have the tampon get donated rather than use it to stir my drink. Uh, I, I mean, but I'll try it. Yeah. If it shows up at my table and that's how it's garnished, yeah. I'll, I'll do it. 
Yeah. 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 I'm 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 too compelled. It's too interesting. Cool. So here's another interesting thing. The woman who wrote the article posted an update and apparently this cocktail garnish has been um, taken off the menu temporarily oh. because the local authorities want to run tests to make sure that no chemicals are leaching in. Are you kidding to the me? Drinks. Where else do tampons go oh, and where do God they think sake. these chemicals can leach in? Right. Oh my like Lord. Why, why are we concerned that now that it's in a drink as opposed to right? the For rest three to of five life. days a month inside lady parts? Yeah. No problem. And not only but that. But in your mouth? Oh my God. It's just the applicator that's in the drink. So right. if you're concerned about any traces of chemicals oh, for God's that sake. might be in the applicator, what why not? Oh. oh no. There's an upturn the table. I know. Oh my yeah. God. That is, like, I feel a rage of fire inside of me about that. That is ridiculous. I support your rage of oh, fire. Oh my lord! In I'm curious about of this what cocktail, alerted uh, them, like, and yeah. where did this? Where did the oh, alert on this? There come was from? an uproar. <laughs> People were freaking out about this. I mean, obviously, uh, it is clickbait. Sure. Um, I mean, there was a great story behind it, and I think it was, you know, as you mentioned, Josh, just really uh, well thought out in right. terms of the message is clear in yeah. the drink. Yeah. Um, but obviously, it's going to upset some. I mean, you, you weren't too keen on it, Josh. No, I mean, it's a Not pretty thought, dramatic yeah, it is. visual, I mean, and people it, got upset. It's also, I mean, if chefs and bartenders see societal ills that they feel should be corrected, put it right in someone's face, literally, yeah. Yeah. in the case yeah. of food and drink. And uh, yeah, and this is something that a lot of people wouldn't have thought about. As we mentioned, feminine hygiene products are not the first thing people about people think about donating when they're trying to help charities out. Yeah. And so this is an opportunity for someone to see that and actually make a donation and think about what they're spending their money on. So you would drink this cocktail. If you ever want to see me fall down in public, bring me to <laughs> a charity cocktail event. <laughs> I am willing to put all of my money I into any kind of breast cancer research or a new wing of a hospital, especially if it involves me drinking at the same time. Right. I, I like that policy. I like it a lot. Yeah. And I'm filing it away. I would like to talk about bitterness. Yum. Right. And I know this is a flavor that you love, I which do. is why I'm jazzed to talk to you about it. Um, but I've been really playing around with it in the kitchen a lot. Okay. Right. And so I um, spent some time working with traditional Chinese medicine, um, which uh, there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot to be said about that. But one of the, the nugget that's important here is the notion that different seasons um, favor uh, certain flavors in terms of what your body needs to take in to connect to the, the energetic vibe of the season, if you oh, can wow. imagine that. Right? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, right. And I have been actually trying to spend to, you know, sp trying to spend, spending the last couple of years trying to actually live with the energetic flow of the season. So is this based on like weather and how our body needs to adapt? Yes. Yeah, the so best example is. Uh, in the winter, don't resist the desire to stay still and be inside and bundle up. They had the urge and toward hibernation, things. precisely, that have been it. cooked long and low on a stove that's on all day and that kind of vibe, right? Uh, it's about uh, incubating ideas. So it's more than what you're eating. It's how you're preparing yes, it. absolutely. And the pace that you're living at in those seasons. Precisely. 
right? Cool. It's all super connected. And it's not nothing that we're, at least in this climate, we're talking about root vegetables and things that are in storage, mm-hmm. right? Nothing's coming out of the ground. There's a quietness. There are root vegetables, things that are broken down and roasted so that they are actually quite easy to break down and digest because we're not running around and active the same way we are in the summer where we eat lots of raw food and cold, you know what I mean? And colder yes. things that require much more heat in our bodies to, to break down. Right? Makes sense. So here we are, spring, mm-hmm. right? And spring is this sort of interesting transition where we're moving from inaction to action, right? Things are growing again. We're sort of putting our ideas into motion. Mm-hmm. But spring is also about detoxification, Right. After the sort of heavy indulgence and intensity of the hibernation, it's like, let's clean this, clean the pipes out a little bit. It's interesting because you're talking about this and it's ancient wisdom. Yeah. But if I look at pop culture, totally, it's all about, you know, let's uh, clean, clean everything up and, uh, you know, drop a a few pounds, you know, getting ready for a swimsuit season or or whatever whatever it is. And. Uh, the 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 green of the first shoots of bright things, oh. right? It's the the ramps and asparagus and all these wonderful things that are the first tastes of what the land has to offer. And so bitterness is really part of all of that, right? The yes. bitterness mm-hmm. helps with a detox, right? It's also something that our, our liver, which is the, the Chinese medicine also believes seasons are connected to systems in your body and organ systems in your body. So the liver system is what needs that flush from all the winter excesses. And, right? and bitterness, bitterness does that. Helps Leafy you do greens that. help, right? Same reason why uh, bitter greens are uh, a great thing for people who have gone through chemotherapy, because it helps to flush things to out flush of your system. Out. Toxins specifically. That's right? interesting because when I think of bitterness, I think more about the the other side. You were talking about the digestive aid, right? And right. Um, I look at fennel and things like that. Yeah, and you know, in the culture I was brought up in. Um, Food-wise, which mm-hmm. is Italian, you know the uh, the notion of the aperitivo with some right. campari before the right. meal, a digestivo exactly. uh, exactly after the it. meal. You sort um, of bookend and, the meal with it, right? And bitterness yeah. in general is uh, really not so much a part of uh, contemporary well, North American it, cooking. Right? Everything that's, that's bitter has been sweetened. Precisely, you know, coffee, except beer, maybe. Beer is still bitter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) It's the truth. And I, uh, so when I was thinking about this, Mm -hmm. right, uh, I was making a uh, a grapefruit aioli. Sounds delightful. That had grapefruit zest as well as juice, Mm -hmm. sunflower oil and a nice egg yolk. And I tasted it and it was super bitter. But the chef inside of me instantly went to grab like maple syrup or something to balance balance that out. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and I thought, how interesting that we don't let bitter hang, right? I would, I like, I would lose marks presenting my instructor with a meal that had that had pronounced bitterness. Bitter forward, right? And even and just the other day, I started watching old Julia Child uh, mm-hmm. videos on PBS. Their website has some gl- a glorious collection of videos, and there were so many times where the advice from her and her guests was, "I trim this thing off, or I cut the green bit of a garlic clove out because it's bitter." Yeah, right. Don't burn the garlic. You put you uh, you stage the garlic addition to the pan because if the garlic burns, it becomes bitter. Right. The avoidance of bitter. The other one that drives me yeah. nuts: rapini. 
Right. Because the rapini have, I mean, right. their bitterness the is example. an integral part of the flavor yeah. profile. And you need to cook them just right so that they're um, they're soft, yes. but they retain some of that bitterness. And you, you overcook need the them. sharpness, for yeah. sure. You yeah. overcook them just a bit too much, and they just taste like green. Mushy, and miscellaneous. Mushy, yeah. and they lose their you know edge. I but, agree. But that's how I'm seeing them served more and more. Yeah. People and shy it's like away we from bitterness. And we want to beat it out of it, right? Um, so mm-hmm. uh, I have been really charged with the idea to to find ways to let the bitterness shine. Yes. Right. Love and to it. like make pe- make to, to embrace it. Yes. Right. And not rush to cancel it out with another flavor. Right. And be unapologetic about the no, this is a, a, a bitter thing. Right. Nice. And particularly here in the spring. Right. Even just like a, a blanched asparagus and green beans and things with a bitter grapefruit aioli over top. Right. Everyone's like, I've never just made like embraced bitter and let bitter just have all of the space in my mouth. I did some research just seeing about who, you know, what other sort of more professional authorities uh, have to say about this. And as it turns out, the bitter is not only a digestive aid, which is what you're connecting to. Yes. It also actually helps to increase absorption and and break down of, of the vitamins? food. Uh, of our food and thus the extraction of and absorption of the vitamins and minerals in our food. So the Italians were right. You knew all along. It's a, it's a bit, it's a, it's like, a, it's like a, like a, like a, like a gatekeeper. You know, uh, bitterness helps to open the door so that you can, in fact, have maximum absorption of all of your beautiful food. So when you're overcooking your rapini, yeah, you it, are uh, diminishing yes. the amount of, uh, of vitamins and minerals Precisely. that your body can absorb. Precisely. Lean into it, man. Embrace it. Rapini, um, all, right now is the season for all sorts of greens. Just go mm. out there and dive into bitter greens and sit with it, right? Yes. Don't need to chase it with acid or salt or something. Just like let bitterness hang um, because you're doing a really good thing for your body. Yeah, I, I read an article recently, Joshna, that upset me greatly. Oh, talk to me. Talk to me. And this article was about how our... Uh, ability to to taste things. I want to talk about taste. I'm talking about not only sweet, sour, bitter, but just to really enjoy the right. flavor of things okay. um, does diminish as we get older. And oh. apparently this Ooh. starts around uh, 60. When we're about oh. 60, our sense of smell starts to diminish. And then uh, by 70, um, our uh, olfactory receptors. So those, those are the receptors that can identify, you know, oh, this is this tastes like lemon or citrus oh, I see. or okay. uh, apple or, you know, uh, that gives us those nuances. They, they stop regenerating uh, as well. So, and we also have less saliva apparently in our mouths. And that's, um, you know, one of our the things that carries, yeah. uh, carries it's the flavors. Vehicle, sure. um, and it just, it really upset me because, you know, we think about getting old and we know, you know, we're already starting to, I, I certainly am starting to get a little creaky. There's no question. And, but it, it, I, for some reason, it never occurred to me. That my enjoyment oh, no. of food and drink, yeah, which no, are two of my favorite things. Come on. Um, oh, and especially for you, since you've just regained exactly. your sense well, of smell. In my mind, I was like, I've already lost four years of tasting, <laughs> of accurate tasting with this crazy sinus issue that it's just coming back. But to know, no, that's not exciting. I mean, that soon it will. Uh, it's different in different people. 
Right. Um, so it's not, you know, it's uh, faster uh, in some than right. in others. So we can we can hope. Um, but so, but then, okay. So this is curious, though. Is this does this notion then perhaps underlie what we see in in food targeted to certain ages of people? Like, right? for example, like what we see food served in a, a retirement home, right, is not so mega with flavor. No, and it's, uh, it's and interesting. Is, is, it connect, is this connect? Or I always thought it was just like old people bodies, and they can't garlic, and they get really fussy and irritated. I had no idea that it it actually maybe connected to their capacity to taste. I think it could be a piece of the puzzle, oh and certainly from uh, a beer perspective, I've read yeah. many articles where they recommend serving beer to elderly people to stimulate uh, the saliva and to stimulate their appetite. Oh, fascinating! And okay. I always thought, oh, well, you know, why are they all losing their appetite? But it didn't occur to me. <laughs> that it's because they're just not enjoying the food right. anymore. Oh, what a sadness. Oh, I, d- I really don't like it. And the other oh. thing that came to mind was uh, I'm done with diets. <laughs> well, for I, just sure, I mean, that's that a clear resolution, right? <laughs> Clearly, my next thought is like, we need to eat everything all the time right now and get all of the flavor, memory, and experience in the hopper here. Seize the day. Yeah. I oh, love my goodness. That. Oh, that's a, that's a positive twist on this dismal story. One piece of advice that I thought was really interesting from the people who conducted this study is that we should regularly try to expose ourselves to the entire spectrum of tastes. Okay. So it is, I guess, to keep that vocabulary oh, fresh. You yeah. know, it's like people who... It's like your chops. To, yeah. It's, it's to, your chops. If you okay. want to be good at crosswords, you've got to, you know, learn, you know refresh yourself on all yeah, the different words. Sure. So to keep your, your palate strong, uh, taste all the different things. So Joshua, okay. we're trying something a little different this today for Curious exciting. Kitchen. Yeah. We have Mr. Josh Lindley with us. Guest-driven Curious Hello. Kitchen. Hello, Josh. Uh, and he has brought in something for us to try, right, Josh? Yes. I brought in this. Uh, this is a, a tincture of sorts. It's made with mezcal and an herb called Damiana. Um, okay. I couldn't tell you the entire genealogical background right. of Damiana, but I do know that it grows wild on the Baja Peninsula, specifically uh, way far south in the Baja Peninsula in Mexico. Right. Um, this particular uh, tincture that I've brought in is made by a woman named Danielle Tatarin, who was in charge of the Kiefer Bar in Vancouver for a very long time oh, and right moved on. to Baja three or four years ago now. Um, she's been managing bar programs and, and working on her own thing, her own thing being um, this particular company called Animas Botica, which is she um, she distills a bunch of indigenous and uh, and wild grown herbs and makes uh, non-alcoholic distillates from them. So you end up with she does rosemary, she does lavender, she does a bunch of different things. Oh, and in really? this case, she has some mezcal that she helps source and then she infuses it with Damiana, this wild herb right. that grows all over the Baja Peninsula. Take, right. a, take a Can whiff. you just, for uh, listeners' sake, tell us what a tincture is? Sure. So um, a tincture, I mean, uh, there are various uh, bartenders and scientists out there that will argue as to what defines and Got what it. doesn't define it. it. If, As far as I know and as far as literature I've taken in, you take an overproof or, or high-proof spirit yeah. and you leave something in it to flavor it. So this is in a lovely brown uh, glass bottle, which mm-hmm. is usual for this sort of liquid Indeed. to protect it from, from light. And I'm seeing it has an eyedropper. So this is something that's used in very small quantity. Very small quantity. Okay. Now, my move is to take that eyedropper, fill it till about halfway, squeeze okay. it into the palm of one of your hands. Okay. Oh, 
rub your hands together, get that body heat going, mm-hmm. and then breathe it in through your nose and mouth at the same time. Gosh. This what is a fun. thing like you a have hop brought. Rub. Okay. You said a halfy? About a halfy. It's quite complex. It has some notes that remind me of Amaro, mm-hmm. but then there's also uh, a, I, I, I hesitate to say smoke. It's almost Ooh. very earthy. There will be some smoke in it. This is actually a, totally a tincture made. I'm earthiness, though. Yeah. Mm. What a lovely experience with this right here. <laughs> so mezcal generally is made using uh, a giant orno in the ground. So that's just Spanish yeah. for oven. It's a big, giant hole in the ground where they will throw agave in. Uh, once some a fire has been built in the bottom of it, they throw some rocks over it, put the agave in, and bury it. And that's how they cook the agave to then be mulched and then fermented and then distilled into mezcal. And that Whoa. smoke sort of makes it all the way through, even if you've made a Demiana tincture right. uh, with the mezcal. So and that's the can, smoky that you you're really getting. Get it's, it's delicate smoke. It I'm used it's to a very... more prominent smoke in a mezcal, and this is really, really light. And Whoa. I would say almost overshadowed by this. Just it's like an earthy smokiness. Mm-hmm. It's very lovely. Plus, uh, you can also f- you can feel the undeniable burn of the mezcal. Like, yes, you know what I mean. You can inhale the undeniable burn of the mezcal. I'm very much enjoying watching what both of your faces Jesus. react to this. I, I wasn't expecting such well, an overwhelmingly this, this positive reaction. This delivery process as well as the thing is wonderful. Wait, but can we taste it? Yeah, certainly. Go I'm ahead. Gonna take like another little drop it in the mouth. If I'm going to put it yeah. on my palm and, and, yeah, and lick it off because I'm classy. That's all fine too. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to play your game around. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, and then the linger is. Well, this is a very lovely thing, Josh. What's coming across is a delicate floral note. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the Demiana for sure. And everywhere. Which in the nose came across more herbal, more herbaceous, but yeah. it's. It on. is in the mouth. It's, yeah, it's. But it's also, it's like things start and stop and then other things show up. Mm-hmm. Huh. So have you used this uh, in a I, cocktail yet? I've played around with it a little bit, but. Um, yeah. How, tell me what that experience is like. Generally, I would use it the same way that I. Um, mezcal is a tough thing to make an entire cocktail out of. Mm-hmm. It is, as we were saying. Pretty high, pretty potent. Mm -hmm. Um, This is definitely something I would use more as an accent, Uh, maybe in a a stirred tequila cocktail, maybe even just Mm. as like something to use uh, to wet the rim of a margarita before putting salt or a spice on it. So it's it's there, but it's not necessarily upfront and in your Mm -hmm. face, Mm -hmm. and involved necessarily in every sip either. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Thanks for bringing this in. Yeah. What a treat. What a, all of it was so lovely. Thank you. There are fewer people I would like to share my findings with than you two. Oh, Josh. Come thanks. by anytime. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening. If you're enjoying The Hot Plate, rate us or leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Hot Plate Pod. Follow me at Beerology on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And follow Joshna at Joshna Maharaj on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you to Joshna for joining us today. Hot Plate is recorded at Eggplant Picture and Sound Studios. Our audio engineer is Brad Tigwell. Original music by Dave Bell. Hot Plate is produced by Mirella Amato, that's me, and Dennis Coyne. That's a wrap.